0: Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, people, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quicken. Cleanliness. That's right, I said it, cleanliness. It sounds like a good thing, surely, but when it comes to the actual products that most of us use to perform run-of-the-mill household chores, things like soaps, detergents, and softeners... The chemicals in them may actually expose us to indoor air pollution or worse, potentially even something called body burden. In 2000, cleaning products were responsible for nearly 10% of all toxic exposures reported to the U.S. poison control, accounting for more than 200,000 calls. My guest today, Sarah Paiji Yu, is on a mission to change this. She founded Blueland, a company that endeavors to reimagine all household packaged goods and cleaning products in particular. She founded this in 2018. Blue Land offers non-toxic cleaning tablets and reusable forever bottles. Those are my air quotes, forever bottles. To substitute a variety of products and reduce waste, ultimately changing the way people clean. The company appeared on a Shark Tank episode in 2019. And as a result of its success on its show, and we've had a bunch of folks who've had success on Shark Tank, and interesting stories to tell as well. The company is now 3% owned by Kevin O'Leary, a.k.a. Mr. Wonderful. Sarah, welcome to Brand on Purpose.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Well, thank you for coming. I definitely want to talk about Shark Tank. We've had a few folks who've had varied experiences. They feel like it's aged them. But I also want to really start at an interesting place, which is where you started before you founded Blueland. So your background is in finance and in consulting, and you're clearly intelligent. You went to Harvard, both undergrad and graduate school, and you graduated at the top of your class. What made you want to leave the lucrative, easy, not so easy, but probably it's an easier path and it's a more secure path of the world of finance and consulting and start Blue Land?
1: Yeah. So, the way you tee it up, I was definitely much more of a square, I would say. I had a pretty traditional business background, which was typical for someone who graduated in the early 2000s, sort of pre financial. Crisis. I actually never considered myself entrepreneurial until sort of I got to business school. You know, I think a lot of startup founders have all their stories about when they were little and all of their sort of entrepreneurial ventures that started when they were like two and, and that certainly was not, was
0: not me. Except this is not your first entrepreneurial venture.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it all changed when I went to business school, actually. But prior to that, you know, I took a pretty traditional and, you know, what would have been a very lucrative path. I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything. I really appreciated the finance and functional foundation that those, you know, pretty intense yet broad-based experiences gave me. But in those experiences i pretty quickly realized that you know i wasn't an investment banker or a management consultant for life and at that point i realized i didn't know what it was that i wanted to do with my life so i decided to go back to harvard for business school honestly just to take a break and to step back and to figure it out and when i got there i realized that the workload was you know surprisingly light and you know this was my opportunity to potentially explore startups in depth. Again, prior to that, I had never considered myself entrepreneur. I went to business school thinking that I want to eventually be an operator at, you know, at a big company. But I did know that I wanted to be in an environment that was fast-paced, you know, where I could wear a lot of different hats. And I realized that entrepreneurship was potentially that path. You know, it was a really great time to be at Harvard Business School because there were many female founders especially that had come before me that Started businesses right out of HBS. So, like the Guilt Group women, the Rent the Runway women, Stitch Fix, Learn Best, Bobble Bar, you know, the list kind of goes on. And, you know, those women were just a year, a few years ahead of me. And so that was really inspirational and almost reassuring to see that these people that had very similar backgrounds to myself kind of just took the leap right out of business school into entrepreneurship. And so, yeah, I decided that. I decided sort of like one month into business school that I was going to start a business in business school because I didn't believe that I had the at-risk appetite to do something once I was in a full-time job. And so that was my goal. And in my first year of business school, I started my first company, SnapEt, which was a mobile shopping app, and ended up raising venture funding for that while in business school. And so ended up sort of dropping out sort of air quotes out of Harvard after my first year to pursue that business. And after that, I was hooked. That was my first startup. Ended up selling that startup about three and a half years in. Launched two more businesses after that. And you know, Blue Lens, my my fourth my fourth baby, business baby.
0: So you say that, I think it's funny that you say you're not an entrepreneur, but you're clearly an entrepreneur. You just <laughs> didn't realize you're an entrepreneur. Yeah,
1: that's, that's right. That's right. Are
0: there other entrepreneurs in your family? Were your parents kind of entrepreneurial as well? I feel like it comes from somewhere, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you ask. I would say that... So my parents both immigrated to the US. My father from Thailand and my mother from Korea, and they came here for college. So I feel like that in itself is entrepreneurial, you know, as much Mm -hmm. as, you know, immigrants are probably more often characterized as being risk-averse. I think it's still crazy for me to wrap my head around, you know, leaving... A country for another country where you don't know the language at all in pursuit of, you know, potential bigger opportunity. So yeah, I think that in itself was extremely entrepreneurial for both of them. But I think, you know, a lot, a lot of other ways, their hopes and dreams for me were, you know, initially a lot more tried and true and risk-averse. I think, you know, they they both really wanted me to be a doctor. I started at Harvard undergrad pre-med but, I also knew sort of my heart of hearts that I was never going to be successful in in any venture that I wasn't you know passionate about and truly loved,
0: yeah, so many of our parents wanted us to be you know doctors <laughs> and lawyers like you said, it's like this linear path, which is fine because we still need doctors and lawyers and business people you know in the world, but there's a lot of space in between that mm-hmm. could be filled and be mm-hmm. good used for good so you founded Blue Land almost three years ago, yeah.
1: Yes, yes, almost three years ago.
0: And what was the inspiration for finding that? Blueland is your third startup or fourth startup?
1: Yeah, fourth startup, just yeah. crazy. And you're a
0: young person. You appear to be a very young person, which is incredible to have four startups behind you at such a young age. I have two questions. One, why did you start Blueland? And two, what did you do different or differently, I should say, that you learned from either previous mistakes or just or previous successes in your other Startups.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I guess despite my what became a passion for entrepreneurship and you know my background starting multiple businesses, I wasn't actually looking to start a business when you know the idea for Blue Land hit. I was actually looking to take a break. So I was on maternity leave, which turned into sort of an extended sabbatical. I want to spend time with my first son. So I was a new mom. And that was really the journey that inspired me to starting Blue Land. You know, I breastfed my son for 11 months exclusively, one of the hardest things I've truly ever done. And so when I was finally switching him over to baby formula, it was a really big decision and step for me. And I was doing a ton of research around even what kind of water I should use to make his baby formula. I was even, you know, wondering if bottled water, for example, was cleaner than New York City tap water. And I was pretty horrified to learn that regardless whether you use bottled water or tap water, you know our drinking water generally contains hundreds of pieces of microplastics per liter. And for the first time I started to really connect the dots between, you know, all this plastic that we're consuming as a society and how it's ending up in our waterways and our oceans and breaking down into microplastics that are now showing back up in the food that we eat and the water we drink and the formula that I was making my son. And so at that point I just decided as an individual, just as a consumer, to really cut back on my single use plastic consumption. And it was an interesting journey because, as well intentioned as I was, as a consumer, I realized that I just had no choice. Like everything seemed to come packaged in single use plastic. And that's when, you know, a light bulb kind of went off for me that I could have such greater impact beyond my personal consumption if I could find a way, especially given my background of providing consumers more and better choices of products that didn't come packaged in single use plastic. So at that point that was the original mission for Blue Land. It really was never about cleaning products at all. At that point my co-founder and I was just did a ton of research as to what product category it would really make sense to start with to sort of this end mission of creating products that didn't come packaged in single use plastic. And you know we evaluated a wide range of categories from toothpaste, to shampoo, to deodorant, and ultimately landed on cleaning products and and hand soap.
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting that we get these, this is going to sound very cliche, but these like epiphanies once we become parents. I mean, I've always said, and I'm not the only one to say this, that getting married is not a big deal or having a partner for a number of years. That's not life-changing. I mean, for some people it might be, and no offense to my wife who occasionally does listen, but- It's once you become a parent and you bring another life, a being, a soul into this world that is yours, right? That is part of you. Then your view on everything, like before, you're just, you know, throwing back water or cleaning. But now you're looking at this life and you're like, wow, what am I feeding him? And that's, it's just an amazing experience because it makes you want to do more and better.
1: Totally, totally, totally. And it ended up being exactly what I was looking for because the reason why I took, a break and I stepped back from my other startups was that, you know, I had realized that I wasn't sure how my relationship with work was going to change once I became a mom. Cause you know, prior to become a mom, my startup life was crazy. You know, startup lives can be extremely intense 24 seven. And, you know, I was open to my relationship with work changing, you know, then I had my son and I realized that I still really loved working. I still really loved early stage company building, but if I was going to spend This many hours of my life, you know, away from my family and my children, working on something that it had to be a lot more meaningful to me than the work that I was doing at that point. Like, I think the pure excitement and energy I got from bringing a brand new product or company to the market, which drove me, you know, for about a decade, just wasn't sort of in itself enough. And I just developed this desire to do something that was a very deep seated desire to do something a lot more you know, personally meaningful and that would, you know, give back hopefully, eventually to my son and the
0: planet. So, and the company makes both reusable vessels, right? To hold things like detergent or soap or shampoo and what have you, but you also make actual alternatives, right? Alternative products Yeah. To toxic or poisonous, you know, detergents and things that we tend to use every day and not even know it, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And you know, many of our products come in or all of our products today come in really innovative form factors each of which were sort of the first to market in each of their respective form factors. For example, like the cleaning sprays and the hand soaps come as tablets, these dry formats instead of you know, these big bottles of liquid. So, you know, conventional cleaning sprays, for example, are over 90% water. And because they're liquid, that's a big reason why these products are typically packaged in plastic, because you can't, you know, package liquid in paper. And so we shrunk down those products to just what you need, because you have water at home. So you can use the water that you have at home, and you drop in one of our dry tablets. And, you know, after a few minutes, it makes a full bottle solution, and we can package that Dry tablet in a compostable paper instead of plastic.
0: So cool. It's very astronaut like, right? I mean, (laughs) and it's like, what is that? Constraints obviously lead to more creativity. And this is a Mm -hmm. great example Mm -hmm. of that, right?
1: Mm -hmm. No, definitely. definitely.
0: And I hadn't even thought of that. And what was it like going on Shark Tank?
1: Yeah. So, Shark Tank, you know, honestly, it was a dream come true. I was so excited, as excited as I was terrified. On the excited front, I think. I feel like I grew up as an entrepreneur alongside Shark Tank because Shark Tank is now on season, at that point was on season 11. So I'd been around for about 10 years. I think right around when Shark Tank launched is when I started getting very interested in startups. And so it definitely was one of my favorite shows. I was always telling people half jokingly that I was going to go on Shark Tank one day if I had the right business. And, you know, once the idea for Blue Land really crystallized, I was so sure. I was like, we're going to take this on Shark Tank. It just makes so much sense because Our price points are accessible, right? So it is really good for sort of a mass national audience with our $2 refills. And everyone cleans, right? Everyone washes their hands, everyone washes their dishes. Again, like so many reasons why Shark Tank made a lot of sense. But it was obviously also terrifying, you know, as much as I do, you know, a lot of these types of interviews or go on TV live, the difference with Shark Tank is that, you know, never have I ever been in a situation where I have like five people truly out to just get me catch me and make for, you know, good TV. And I think we, yeah, do all- it's,
0: it's entertainment. It's is entertainment what it is. is what it yeah. is. Exactly. And you right, recorded right.
1: for like an hour and a half. And I knew that that was going to be edited and they don't stop the cameras for anything. And they were going to edit that down to what, six minutes. And so, I mean, it was, it was incredibly prepped a ton. And ultimately, you know, it, it all went well, thankfully. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I've heard that it goes an hour and a half or longer and that they're just trying to find those like those moments, right? Mm-hmm. Where either it's your facial expression or you're looking scared or there's awkward silence or they try to get you with an aha question or moment. And it's almost impossible to prep for other than you have to have your sales pitch down, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to think about all the things they're going to potentially ask. Totally. Right? It's totally. all about the opposition type questions.
1: Absolutely. It's so funny because I also went on there like dead set on not mentioning that I went to Harvard because I felt like that would just put a target on my back and no one would mm-hmm. enjoy that. And they definitely like asked me head on about it. And then when you see the the cut of it, they recut it so as if I introduced myself as, hi, I'm Sarah and I went to Harvard. <laughs> And I was like, of course you guys did.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I don't think any of them went to necessarily well-known or Ivy League type schools or prestigious schools. I don't know. Yeah. But I know that typically people who have been successful, like all of them, who have not gone to a prestigious school, really like to needle people who have. So that's why they did that. It just totally makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes for good TV to have the stereotypical obnoxious, stuck up. Harvard person, I guess. Well,
0: it's interesting what you said about business school though. My sister went to Harvard Law Mm -hmm. and she said the hardest thing about Harvard Law was getting in. Once she was there, she would never describe it as easy, but she's like, it was fine. It wasn't like more or less difficult than anything I would have expected. You know,
1: She's probably smarter than me. I I probably would have (laughs) had a tougher time over at Harvard Law. But I think with Harvard Business School, it's just... You know, I think grades also, they don't share out the grades. And it's, you know, I right. kind of went in for it knowing, you know, very clearly, at least for myself, I wasn't there for the curriculum. And so, you know, I was really there to figure out
0: what I want to do next. Right. No, you're there as a launching pad mm-hmm. to figure mm-hmm. out. Right. Exactly. Right. And to be around other like-minded, spirited, you know, innovative entrepreneurial people who also want to do new things, mm-hmm. right? Not mm-hmm. just work for some big box retailer someday or whatever. Totally. Totally. Now, the products are all and uniquely solely available online right now, or are they also available in physical retail?
1: Yeah, so we are, most all of our business is done through our own website, so at blueland.com, but there are a select number of retailers that we do sell with at the moment. So, you know, we are starting to branch out into more traditional retail. We are with West Elm, Nordstrom, Goop, and most recently with Container Store, which is exciting. Cool.
0: All great brands. I feel like West Elm is often at the edge of innovation and trying new things. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Do you ever envision yourself getting into Whole Foods or Costco or like larger kind of formats?
1: Yeah, I think from the very beginning, you know, our hope has been that retail is going to be, you know, eventually a large piece of business. And I think it has to be just because ultimately really to maximize, you know, our impact on the environment, you know, we really want to maximize our reach and really try to get our products into every household in America. And ultimately, especially with the cleaning category, as much as COVID did accelerate the category's sort of transition to e com you know, I would say still, you know, 70-80% plus of consumers still prefer to buy cleaning products wherever they do their regular sort of weekly or bi-weekly shopping sure. trips. And so right. I think, you know, being in all those channels is still very important. But I think we have to be mindful about, you know, how we show up. And when I would argue that, you know, our first year of business was probably too early to show up in those retailers, unless we were going to get a lot of dedicated shelf space with ability to put up marketing materials, because this is a new behavior. This is like a brand new behavior that most all people are still not familiar with. You know, there's yeah, still...
0: you're, you're changing workflow, basically. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. So if you just put a tablet on the shelf with no explanation, right, and that tablet packaging is really tiny, people aren't going to know what that is. And Mm -hmm. so, we definitely, you know, require a deeper partnership with the retailers that we work with to be able to effectively communicate how our product and how our product systems work.
0: I don't recall, in my my assessment of my own personal assessment, so it's of one person. I don't recall seeing anything quite like this in the market. The only thing I can think of is maybe tangentially, you compete with like a seventh generation or other types of products that promote less toxicity, you know, better for the environment, but there's really nothing like what you do out there, which is both good and a challenge because there's no comp, right? You, it's like, sometimes you need a competitor. Absolutely.
1: No, I think that, that's exactly right. I think, you know, our, our most relevant competitors are like the seven generations and the methods of the world, which are, you know, great products from a formulation perspective. I think that definitely, you know, help lead some of the education on the importance of you know, these quote-unquote natural non-toxic or, you know, biodegradable formulations. But it is hard when we are the first of its kind, you know, pushing these tablets and these refills because we, as a very small company, are also, you know, single-handedly carrying the burden of, of the education of these products.
0: Right, right. So when I think about what you're doing and I think about your competitors, if you will, or, or the competitive set, Do you feel any sort of threat, or do you think that they're going to move in that direction as well and try to rip you off? Because, and I have another question after that. So first, that question.
1: Yeah, yeah, we do think that there's a strong chance. I think if we do a good job, right, then that is that that should be right how the industry evolves, certainly. And I think that's not a bad thing. I think that ultimately, you know, our mission really is to eliminate single-use plastic packaging broadly. Right. And if we can inspire a CPG company that generates $50 billion plus revenue a year and has global reach and, you know, a hundred thousand distribution points and get them to also, you know, believe that, you know, refilling and reusing is more impactful than simply just putting out products that are recyclable. You know, I think that's a huge win as well, because I think, you know, the impact that they can have is, you know, at least today far greater than we can. So I don't, I don't view that as a terrible thing. Obviously, you know, we wouldn't want them infringing on our patents and, you know, a lot of the innovation that we've worked so hard to develop, but I think broadly, I think would be excited to see, see other cleaning products honestly enter and really espouse the the refill model.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about that innovation and the patents then. So you don't have a background in chemistry or no, biochemistry, no, even though you went to Harvard. <laughs> so is it your business partner or did you have to educate yourselves? Did you have to hire someone? Because I can't imagine it's that simple where you're like, I'm just going to you know put this pill together and then I'm going to add water and voila, we have a product that doesn't quite work like that.
1: Yeah. No, saying that it was incredibly difficult is still an understatement. as <laughs> like what the path was to develop these tablets, I think. Again, had I known how difficult it was going to be, I probably would have second guessed whether this was going to be the idea or company that I ultimately pursued. But obviously, in retrospect, so thankful that we did. But no, you know, my co-founder and myself, we both have business backgrounds. You know, we aren't chemists. In fact, we had no chemists in our network, you know, usually with these types of startups. And, you know, from from his and my experience, with consumer product companies, are that you could go to an existing manufacturer, right? A contract manufacturer, and have them develop you know products with you in partnership. And you know, that was the first place we naturally turned. Once we had this idea for Blue Land, you know, we reached out to probably over 40 different types of manufacturers. And you know, all the cleaning product manufacturers looked at us like we were crazy, saying, like, we make liquid products, right? We don't even own tablet machinery. In fact, Many or most of our ingredients come to us as liquid. So, I don't know how you expect us to make these dry tablets. And then, you know, we ended up turning to folks that did have tablet machinery, like candy manufacturers and vitamin supplements manufacturers. Like, we really boiled the ocean. And ultimately, you know, it became clear that, you know, everyone was telling us, like, you have to come to us with your own formulas. Like, this has never been done before. So, we don't know how to do it. So, You know, you need to develop the formula and come to us with something that would work and we could attempt to run it for you. And so at that point, like I mentioned, we had no chemists in our, even in our network. And so we simply turned to LinkedIn. We turned to LinkedIn and we scoured it for folks that seemed to have the kind of background. That would be required for what we wanted to do, and just try to get anyone and everyone on the phone with us that was willing to, just so we can get more information, get their thoughts as if they thought we were crazy, if they knew someone or had a friend who could help us with this. And you know, that's just how our our search began. And ultimately, we were able to convince the, the director of formulation at Method, which is one of the largest non-toxic cleaning brands in the world, to come join us in this. And he was. Like the unicorn that we were looking for, because not only did he have deep cleaning products experience, prior to that he was working in nutritional supplements. So like dry
0: format tablets. And I guess he didn't have an on-compete. He could just come right over, or did he have to wait a bit?
1: Yeah, no, he he was able to he was able to join us. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. He's based in California, and I think that's probably also also part of it. I think there's, uh-huh. there's definitely more.
0: Yes. Employment law is very employee. Favors the employee, yeah. Both in New York and California, I would Mm -hmm. say, but yeah. That's right. That's right. Is there a concern? I'm thinking about Tide Pods, right? That you know these tablets could be accidentally. I know that they're they're technically non toxic, but I'm sure there's some level of toxicity if I decided to accidentally pop one in my mouth, or if I'm young. How do you prevent that? And how do you get around that? Or is that a concern?
1: Yeah, no, it definitely was a concern, and especially top of mind, especially because I have, you know, at that point, one young child, and now I have two. And so incredibly important from the beginning that, you know, we had, you know, multiple mechanisms in place. But ultimately, because of the ingredients that we use, even if you look at our safety data sheets, which, you know, all products require, the instructions are if you do, or you or a child or an animal ingests one, you know, you just have to drink a lot of water. You know, we do recommend you you know reach out to your physician, but the next steps are just to drink a lot of water that you will, you should be okay, which is great. But also dry formats are a lot better in my opinion than like a pod because they are a lot harder to ingest. There's also bittering agents that, you know, as soon as it touches your tongue, like it's very clearly not candy. And with a dry format, whether it's a powder or a tablet, you really have to attempt to, you can't accidentally just swallow it generally. Like you really have to like chew on it or try to ingest it which is why I do believe that dry formats are safer.
0: Yeah. I forgot about the bittering agent. That's genius. It's so simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do that with our animals too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's the whole, you know, to keep our beloved pets away from things they shouldn't be eating. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And your partner, you have a co-founder, right? Yes.
1: John, John Mascari, who I love.
0: (laughs) I bet. So John, do you guys, you guys have similar or different skill sets?
1: We have surprisingly different skill sets. I say surprisingly because we were actually in the same class in business school. We were actually in the same section, which meant in our first year, we took all of our classes together. But where our experiences really diverge is he has deep experience in operations, manufacturing, fulfillment. He also, however, is a serial entrepreneur. He started his last company called Bundle Organics, which was a juice and tea brand for nursing and pregnant women right out of right out of business school. And as you can imagine, creating products consumable for a pregnant woman, the threshold for quality. Is- By the way,
0: as a guy who probably wasn't even a parent at yeah, the time,
1: Exactly.
0: that's crazy. Exactly, if you can exactly. do that, you can yeah. do anything, right? I'm not a parent. I've never even seen anybody nursing, but I'm going to create a product specifically for women who are nursing their children. Yes, right? yes, yes, exactly. That's nuts. Exactly, that's nuts.
1: exactly. Which is also how, you know, what led him to bring me onto the board. And so that's how we developed our working relationship. I was on the board of directors for Bundle, and yeah, his, his background's deep on the ops and logistics side, which is obviously is incredibly important for us. Same thing on the formulation side, and so he really runs you know that part of Blue Land, and I'm I'm more focused on sort of front of the house, you know, the customer experience, the digital experience, marketing, press, branding. Etc.
0: So I want to go back. I want to go back to a question I asked earlier because I, I violated my own rule. I asked two questions at the same time, and yes. sometimes people <laughs> pick the one that they. What is it that you learned about your past experiences that you said, you know, where there's something negative, or you did something wrong, or you would have done something differently that you're able to apply to Blue Land? Yeah. It could be in any aspect of entrepreneurship and, and building a company, but I'm just kind of curious if there's one or two like universal truths that helped you. After making a few mistakes, you realize that you won't make those mistakes again.
1: yeah, I think the biggest one for me was that you know you really have to focus in that ultimately you can't pursue product market fit while also out marketing the company that you know really initially you need to focus on that product experience, customer love and product market fit. And you know, our first year, you know, our whole first year we really weren't focused on marketing as much as, you know, optimizing that experience and trying to get to product market fit. And I think it's really hard as an entrepreneur to recognize that because obviously you're so excited about your product, you know, you can't help but sometimes also develop that product for yourself as that customer but to make sure you're carving enough time to truly be listening to how other folks are perceiving that product and if they're excited about it and all the reasons that they're not excited about it and getting that right before shifting gears to marketing. Because you know, when you're trying to market a product that hasn't quite hit product market fit, it's, it feels like you're just, you know, you're just filling a, a leaky bucket.
0: What was it? That you had to change where there were there one or two things that you went in thinking this is what the consumer wants. And then a year later you're like, actually because sometimes it's just nuance and language and other times it's also changing the product. But yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean it was it was an approach that really influences from the very, very beginning. So like I mentioned in the beginning. You know, our goal with Blueland was, you know, very broadly, eliminate single-use plastic packaging. And we hadn't even landed on cleaning products yet. And at that point, honestly, the first category that I was excited about and so confident in was toothpaste. Because toothpaste tubes are pretty much, like, almost universally not recyclable. Like, it's an aluminum-plastic blend that is extremely durable. And every toothpaste tube we've ever used still exists, you know, on the planet today. And yeah. so I thought it was- a no And problem. they
0: will 10,000 years Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: crazy. It's crazy. And so the first idea that I had was toothpaste tablets. Like, oh, we'll do these dry format toothpaste tablets and how they work are, you know, you, you chew them. So it breaks into a pattern and then you start brushing with your wet toothbrush. And once you start brushing, it foams up. It's a great experience. You can have the same flavor profile. You know, it can have fluorides. It can be just as you know efficacious as a traditional toothpaste. And- in my mind, I was like, Oh, this is a no brainer because, you know, who wants to be sending toothpaste tubes to the landfill when you can just sacrifice the experience a little bit and use these toothpaste tablets that come packaged in the paper. But instead of assuming that everyone else felt exactly the way that we did, that this was a slam dunk no brainer, we, you know, went out to 40 friends and family. You know, we made these toothpaste tablets in my kitchen. We had 40 friends and family try them for seven days and at the end of it, like the real like question that we told ourselves we would ask and hold ourselves accountable to is, would you make the switch? And we set ourselves like a bar for like what that number would have to be for us to get excited. And unfortunately we heard back from 80% of the folks that tested this, that they would not make the switch. And it just, it was hard to explain, but they just like, it just was too weird. Like just having this tablet break down into powder, they didn't like it. They didn't like the powder on the tongue. So it wasn't even like a, a value prop thing in terms of like, it's less effective, right? Or there's no minty flavor. It was this slightly more intangible experience, but it was important because at the end of the day, you know, after a week of it, 80% said, no, thank you. This is not for me, right? And
0: What a great idea. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. I would totally do it, especially when you think about traveling. hmm especially for travel instead of all those little toothpaste tubes I get from the dentist after as a gift, you know, like the yeah, parting gift from the dentist. Totally. Um, I still think you should do it and instead focus on dentists and put them together as travel packs or something like that. I don't agree,
1: know. Agree, agree. I mean, no, we're sitting, we have fully formulated products. Like we have them, I use them. And so at some point, at some point, it just doesn't, didn't seem like it was the best place to, best place to start.
0: No, no not a best place to start, but maybe an extension or, you know, you can do what A lot of folks do is, you know, you throw it into an order for free. Try these, right. Yep. To get some adoption. Mm-hmm. I love how you started with, I made these in my kitchen. Like who says that? <laughs> <laughs> That's so messed up. I love it. You're like, kind of like Walter White. You yeah. know, maybe, yeah. maybe you need to infuse them with some CBD or something. Maybe that would be.
1: That's going to make the difference. Everyone will. <laughs> loves a little CBD. The most relaxed
0: toothbrushing ever. Exactly. The floss. You know. exactly. So then you then pivoted and you're like, actually, we're going to go to cleaning and not Anything that cause none of your products are ingested, right? Not Yeah,
1: yeah, not, yeah. Well,
0: not willingly ingested. No,
1: no, but you know, before we got to cleaning, we like we tried a bunch of other categories as well. And similarly we kind of hit a wall. And and just from my experience of knowing, like, look, once you commit to a startup, right, like that can be a five, 10, 20 year journey and a potentially very painful one if it's not one that's working, right? Or doesn't sort of is naturally in a category that other people feel the way you do and think that the product's amazing. So, you know, the last thing I also wanted to do was, you know, commit myself to something that, that wasn't going to work out and and have the type of impact that I was hoping to have.
0: Yeah. I don't think people appreciate, I mean, I I started and then sold a professional services firm and now I'm in a SaaS software startup and it's incredibly exciting, but hard.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it is 24 mm-hmm. seven and
0: you wake up in the middle of the night and you write stuff down, you have these ideas and then you're like, is that just for me or is that for the market? And, and then how much is it going to cost? And how quickly can I get it implemented? And then you're worrying about someone else the next day, even if they're not really, truly ripping you off or imitating what you're doing, the mere illusion of them doing that can still have a marketing impact on you. Totally. It's scary. It's a scary. Lot. It's a
1: lot. So choose wisely <laughs> for all those out there that are you know, thinking of making the jump. You want to make sure that you, know, you can only do one, focus on one for the next you know, bit of time. So you want to make sure it's, it's the right right idea.
0: Says Sarah, who's on her fourth <laughs> of startup. So listen, Sarah, it was so great to chat with you. I'm going to go on Blueland. I'm going to place an order. And it's blueland.com for our listeners, right?
1: Yes, blueland.com, correct.
0: It's cool that you got the URL, actually, because that's like one of the hardest things to do. Everybody oh. talks about startup, but like getting the URL that you want is hard.
1: Yeah, no, that it was hard. It was hard, but worth it, but hard. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So thank you for coming on. I can't wait to have you back and to track your success. And maybe the next time you're on, it's because you sold the company for like $400 million to Unilever. Who knows?
1: amazing maybe maybe that would be one potentially good outcome so
0: that'd be an incredible (laughs) exit and actually the right buyer given what they're doing and being very deliberate around companies that have purpose and impact at their center divesting those that do not so definitely i'd love love to see that happen we'll send this recording to unilever we'll see what happens.
1: thank you appreciate that
0: thanks again sarah
1: (laughs) thanks so much
0: This has been an episode of Brand On Purpose with Aaron Quitkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsey Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquitkin.com.